So for the last few weeks, we've been looking at the imagery in the book of John that's used to expose the reality of who Jesus is and to make some sense of how these images expose who Jesus is for us. And some of the images make a lot of sense to us. We understand what a wedding looks like. Uh, We experience weddings. We are either participants in weddings or we've been a guest at a wedding. Um, We have some understanding of what it looks like to be part of a wedding. Uh, When John the Baptist calls Jesus the groom, we have a picture in our head of what that looks like. What it is to be a groom. What it is to be a part of a wedding. But then there are some images that, that are here in the Gospel of John that are a little harder for us to make sense of. Because our daily lives here in 2020 in Grove City, Ohio, they simply don't feature lambs and shepherds in the, and uncertainty after the sun goes down in a world without electric lighting. I, I don't know about you, but I don't know any shepherds at the moment. Joanne might. Yeah, Joanne does. Um, uh, what's that? Baby sheeps. Baby sheeps. You know, the reality is I know nothing about herding. But... There in the first century, there in Judea, herding was a staple industry. Everyone knew a shepherd. Some of them were shepherds. The the language of sheep and shepherds is a language that we find often in the Bible because in Judea, for the last 5,000 years, herding has been a staple industry. So we see this language of sheep and shepherds throughout the Old Testament. Because everyone understood what the life of a shepherd looked like. Throughout the Psalms, David uses the pastoral imagery of shepherding to talk about God's relationship with his people. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want Psalm 28, be their shepherd, carry them forever. Psalm 77, you led your people like a flock by the hand. Psalm 82, he brought his people out like a a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. Psalm 80, hear us, O shepherd of Israel. This this is language that David uses often. But, But it's not just David, we also see it in the prophets. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah says that God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers them like lambs in his arms. In Jeremiah 31, he who scattered Israel will gather them and watch over his flock like a shepherd. And most notably, in Ezekiel chapter 34. Now, Ezekiel is a a prophet, and and as is often the case with prophets, uh, they are standing in opposition to people in leadership who have strayed from God's path. And we see this happening in Ezekiel chapter 34. Chapter 34 begins with a rebuke of Jewish leadership. 
Ezekiel writes, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And if we skip forward a few verses, uh, in verse 7, we see a declaration of judgment. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered, and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable. Uh, in verse 11, we see Jesus, or we see Jesus, we see God making uh, a promise for deliverance. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As shepherds look after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and they will feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. And I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And then the chapter ends with God staking his claim on his people. He says, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. For the people who were following Jesus here at the first part of the first century, when Jesus begins talking about shepherding imagery, their minds are going immediately to Ezekiel 34. They've heard this before. This is a well-known picture of what it looks like to be a leader who leads justly. And in the way God has called uh, the leaders of the people of God to lead. But one of the things we need to understand about uh, here at the beginning of John chapter 10 is that it's one of the places where uh, the editors of the New Testament who went in and added the chapters and verses uh, really did us as readers a misservice. Um, Because the action of chapter 10 doesn't begin with chapter 10, verse 1. Rather, chapter 10 is just a continuation of the action that begins in chapter 9. So, if I was the czar of the Bible, which, thank God I'm not, uh, 10-1 would be for me 9-42. I would just continue on that story because it makes more sense to read it all together. Uh, If we remember in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus and the disciples are walking down the road. There's a man who's blind, who's begging for uh, mercy, 
and the disciples say, uh, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither. Like that, That's not how it works. Uh, blindness is not punishment for sin, uh, but it gives us an opportunity to demonstrate God's glory. And Jesus goes and he heals the man. And the man goes to the synagogue and shows the Pharisees that he's been healed. And they said, nuh-uh. He said, no, really, I've been healed. I was blind. Now I can, uh, bring your parents. They'll tell you if, if you were blind. So he brings his parents. His parents say, oh, yeah, he was blind. We don't know why he's seen now. This is, this is very strange. And they said, well, who healed you? And he, and he said, Jesus. They said, nuh-uh. <laughs> and the Pharisees riddle the man with questions. He tells them time and time again he was healed by Jesus They don't believe him. And ultimately, they throw him out of the synagogue. They kick him out of church. They say, you're a liar. Be gone. We don't want to hear this. And in chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus finds this man. John writes that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found them, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man asked, who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. And then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And some Pharisees who were with him heard this and they asked, what? Are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, your guilt remains. And then the story continues on into chapter 10. Jesus continues speaking. He says, Very truly, I tell you Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief or a robber. And one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Now, this word that the NIV translates uh, figure of speech, um, it's, it's a strange word that we don't see very often in the New Testament, uh, but it, it would probably be clearer to us if it was translated parable, um, but what it's probably really even closer to is riddle. Uh, the Pharisees didn't understand because Jesus spoke in a riddle. And as uh, Jesus continues on in verse 7, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now I don't know about you, but this is confusing to me. This idea of Jesus being the gate. What does that mean? Uh, Luckily, there are people who study this. And uh, what we've learned 
And the way it still works uh, in some communities in that part of the world is uh, the way the household and the complex is sort of set up is you have sort of living quarters and then kind of off to the side you have a, a holding pen. Um, and if you are the owner of the sheep, you can't be bothered to stay up all night watching your sheep. So you hire a gatekeeper to stand at the gate and make sure no one comes and steals your sheep. So the next morning when you wake up to take your sheep out to graze, uh, the gatekeeper is there and can say, oh yeah, you're the guy who hired me, here are your sheep. Or uh, no, you are not the guy who hired me, this is a problem, I'm sounding the alarm, uh, we, we're, we're, we're about to rumble. Um, so, so the hired watchman is the one who watches the gate, the only person in or out is... The shepherd. Uh, so, so what we see here is that Jesus is bringing the same sort of rebuke that we saw back in Ezekiel chapter 34. Jesus is saying, you aren't really shepherds because the sheep don't know your voice. And I know especially that you aren't shepherds because if you had been shepherds, you would have come through me. This idea of Jesus being uh, the gate, Jesus being the gatekeeper, is that if someone wants to, wants to be a, uh, a leader who's been called by God in the people of God, the only way to be filled with the Spirit in a way to do that correctly is through Jesus. It's not something that, that can uh, come in any other way. But Jesus isn't finished there. He takes it one step further. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. It's a pretty strong rebuke of the religious leaders of the day to say that they have run away from their responsibility. But Jesus isn't done. He crosses the line in this next section. In verse 14, he says once again, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen and I must bring them also. For they too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This is the command I received from my Father. Jesus exposes here the messianic conspiracy to extend the work of salvation beyond the bounds of Judaism. Beyond the bounds of those who are the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One flock. One shepherd. Which in 2020 is especially challenging. Because in 2020, it is really easy to name your enemies. But Jesus shows us a better way. You know, sometimes uh, 
you know, the, the conversation will come up. You know, if you could have lunch with anyone in the world, who would it be? Who, who would you have lunch with? Um, and I'm not, like, you know, depending on what day it is, you know, my answer changes. But someone who is always near the top of my list uh, is a guy named Daryl Davis. He, uh, he's a professional musician. He's a player. Uh, but more interestingly, he has, um, he has been on a lifelong quest uh, to befriend people who believe that he is their enemy. Um, he, uh, he grew up, uh, his parents were, were diplomats, so they went around the world. Um, but when he was 10 years old, they were back in the United States, and he was part of a Cub Scout troop that was marching in a parade. Um, and as they rounded a bend, some people started throwing rocks and bottles at him. And, you know, the, the troop leaders came and protected him and got him through that section um, and he said, you know, when it first happened, I said, what do these people have against the Cub Scouts? But his parents had to explain to him, it wasn't that he was a Cub Scout, it was that he was the only black Cub Scout. So for the next 50 years, he spent his uh, entire life uh, befriending people who are white supremacists, spending time with them. helping them to see that he's a lot like they are. Uh, one of the stories that, that he tells is uh, he was meeting with a Ku Klux Klan leader uh, in the state of Virginia named Roger Kelly. And he said that he was friends with Roger Kelly for six years before Roger Kelly decided to leave the Ku Klux Klan. But he said... It only took about six months before he genuinely started liking Roger Kelly. Now, here's a guy whose ideology saw uh, Daryl Davis as a second-class human being. But he had made the decision to look past his woundedness, to look past the, uh, the brokenness of his ideology, to see a person who he had things in common with, who he could actually like, who he could actually enjoy spending time with, despite his woundedness. Uh, Daryl Davis is one of my heroes for his courage and his patience to be with people who are different than him, in different and radical ways. Because we live in an increasingly polarized society. But Daryl Davis figured out one of the truths that we've already uh, discovered in the book of John, that God likes us just the way we are, all of us. And he decided to like the people who he met just the way they were. Now, some of you will struggle with hearing this. But God likes Donald Trump just the way he made him. God likes Nancy Pelosi just the way he made her. God likes Mitt Romney just the way he made him. Which isn't to say that any of these people are above correction. Or that any of them are perfect. But each of them have been made in the image of God. Each of them, is as wounded as they may be, 
are likable and lovable. And it is compatible. It is not compatible with following Jesus to choose to hate any of them. We cannot both follow Jesus and choose to hate someone who's ideologically different than us. Someone whose skin is a different color than us. Someone who's, uh, who's, I mean, we can't even hate Michigan fans. You know, sometimes, um, sometimes the, the news comes on and it reports that a bad guy has died. Um, and increasingly, every time I see a news report where a bad guy dies, I, I think about the Apostle Paul. Because if the Apostle Paul had died before his Damascus Road experience... Uh, my sense is that early Christians would have been tempted to celebrate. Our tormentor is gone. Ding dong, the witch is dead. This is great. Because here's a guy, I mean, he was a Christian hunter. He went city to city finding Christians, tormenting them, persecuting them, sometimes bringing about their death. But God did not let Christian persecution be the final chapter of the Apostle Paul's story. Instead, God met Paul where he was. He transformed his heart, and he became a central figure in early Christian history. As broken and wounded as Saul of Tarsus was, God loved him just the way he made him. And the same is true for you. No matter what you have done, no matter what has been done to you, you are likable and you are lovable. God loves you just the way he made you. God sent the good shepherd into the world to lay down his life for his sheep. And that includes you. When I was a kid, my uncle Steve used to bring his guitar around and sing a song. And they went... I just want to be a sheep, ba 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 ba. Anyone know this song? Yeah. Okay, good. But that's our reality. We are the sheep of God's pasture. We are loved just the way he made us. We are one flock. We have one shepherd. When we hear his voice, we follow him through the narrow gate. And that has to change the way that we see one another. Because even the people who hurt us have been made in the image of God. Even the people who ideologically are completely removed from us have been made in the image of God.
And so have we. We are the sheep of God's pasture. He calls us by name. We follow him through the narrow gate into the freedom of his preferred future for us. God loves you just the way he made you. The shepherd came into this world to lay down his life for his sheep. That's good news. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we confess that there are people who we don't care for. Who, whether they are public figures or our neighbor who never returns our tools, who we don't have positive feelings for. who we don't desire to see good things come for them. But Lord, the reality is that there is not a person walking this planet today who is not made in your image. There's not a person walking this planet today who Jesus did not have in mind when he died on the cross. So Lord, change our perspective. Give us eyes to see every person the way you see them. Give us love in our hearts, even for the people who are hateful. Lord, our salvation isn't one through political means. It isn't secured through the military-industrial complex. But Lord, you are the one who delivers. You are the one who leads us into the wide pasture full of good things. So Lord, give us the courage to trust you more today, to rely on your provision and to experience the fullness of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.